Greetings, everyone. Welcome to a new episode of the Stuff We Love podcast. For this, our seventh episode, we will be discussing the various ways we consume music, and we'll be reviewing Star Wars, The Last Jedi. As always, we will conclude with our very popular Stuff We Love segment. Let's meet the hosts. I'm Jack. And I'm Scott. And you're listening to the Stuff We Love podcast. Welcome to Stuff We Love podcast. We are now going to discuss how we consume music. This is an interesting time in the music industry as CD and digital sales continue to decline. Streaming has increased on a variety of platforms and vinyl sales are up. That being said, let's discuss the formats we listen to music on and compare two of the most popular streaming services, Apple Music and Spotify. And before we do that, I just wanted to take a moment to share some memories I have of growing up and how I would consume music in the 1990s and early 2000s. Uh, Jack, I'm a bit older than you, so I'm not sure if any of this is going to resonate with you, but I I vividly remember as a kid going to music shops. I would often go on Fridays after school was over. We'd go to the mall. My local mall would have three music shops, and I'd browse around CDs and even cassette tapes at the time. Vinyl records were largely done. Those really weren't sold at the time. They made a comeback later on. Uh, And you would be able to browse through the top-selling albums. You could listen to CDs that they would have at the front of the store. They would have headphones on display. So it was really a very exciting and fun thing to do. And this was at a time when CD sales were tremendous. This was the main way that people consumed music. So now all that has changed as we have gone to a digital format. When I was in college, that's when Napster first came onto the scene, along with a file-sharing service called Kazaa. And you would have access to almost every song out there for free, even if it wasn't exactly legal to listen to it that way. So that is what led Apple, from my understanding, to create the iTunes market and sell individual songs for 99 cents a piece. I seem to recall from Walter Isaacson's biography of Steve Jobs that Steve Jobs said, look, people are listening to music digitally anyway. They're Music companies and the recording artists are not getting paid for it. Let's make this the legal way to do it. So that's what led to iTunes, and now here we are 20 steps later talking about Apple Music. But Jack, let me ask you, what are your memories of listening to music? Do you ever listen to CDs? Did you ever listen to CDs or anything like that? When I was very young, it was usually mostly CDs. My my parents had a really good collection. They'd have this the spiral cases of you know a ton of different CDs, and that's how we listened to most of our music. And their taste in music really influenced what I listened to. Um, but I'm pretty spoiled. When I was really starting to listen to music um, more often, they had iTunes already available. So I, I've been listening to music on iTunes for as long as I can remember. I'd also remember um, getting CDs and then putting them into iTunes and then getting all the music that way, which was very popular. But um, I've been listening to iTunes for pretty much as long as I've been alive. And uh, as much as I liked iTunes, I personally was not a huge fan of their interface for listening to music, which is why when Spotify came out, that's why I made the switch to Spotify after a couple of friends had used it, some family members had used it, and they recommended it to me. And now in 2018, we're recording this in January 1st, um, I'm on a family plan with my uh, with my family, which really makes it extremely uh, affordable to have Spotify. Right. Um, but I guess, Scott, you, you, let's have you start by taking us through some of the features for um, iTunes and how they listen to music, and then I can talk about Spotify. Sure. I personally don't use Spotify. I did when it first came out, but now my main source of streaming music is Apple Music. Here's a summary of what Apple Music has to offer. First of all, 
subscribers have access for the most part to all recorded music that's available out there. For a period of time, there were some artists like the Beatles, Led Zeppelin, Garth Brooks, who would be holding back their music, but I think now everything is available on it. Apple Music also has exclusive releases. These include releases over time by Drake, Taylor Swift, and others. Then another thing I like about Apple Music is that it integrates very well with iTunes and your music libraries. So for example, on my iPhone, let's say I open up the Apple Music app and I'm listening to a song by Drake and I really like the song and I want to make it part of my permanent library. Very simply, all you do is tap a plus sign and it gets added into the library and it's listed there with all of the other artists who you may have uploaded songs from on CDs and so forth. So it's very good integration. The app itself, when it was first released, was a little bit difficult to use. An update made, made it a bit more user-friendly, although I think this is still one of its drawbacks. Sometimes when I'm on Apple Music, I think to myself, okay, what do I do now? How do I get to this part? And so forth. When Apple Music was announced, Jimmy Iovine, who was one of the founders of it with um, Dr. Dre, said this is going to be a service in which humans curate the playlists. So a lot of other streaming music services, from what I understand, computers generate the order of the songs. Here it would be humans that actually would create the playlist. And this goes back to Beats Music, which no longer exists, but which was bought by Apple Music. And they made a point on Beats Music of saying, oh, humans are the ones curating the playlists. Um, and then the last thing I'll mention about Apple Music that I really like is that each week, in response to a type of playlist that Spotify had, they have a For You playlist where they give you recommendations of songs that they think you're going to like. So that's Apple Music. Uh, I do really love it. And Jack, let me uh, turn it over to you for some Spotify discussion. So I've been using Spotify for about a year, a year and a half now, and I've really enjoyed it. My biggest complaint with iTunes is, like you said, they tried to kind of change the interface to make it more user-friendly, but even when they changed it, I, I didn't really enjoy the interface too much, and that was one of the largest reasons I switched over, even though I had so much music in iTunes. At the time, um, and I could be mixing up things here, but when I switched, I think you still had to purchase songs on iTunes um, by the song, and so it made more sense for me to switch to Spotify and just get every song. Um, but with the interface combined with that, the, the buying experience, when I switched to Spotify, I've really enjoyed it for the past year, year and a half. And um, much like iTunes now, because you know, their competition has created a pretty similar interface with the two, um, it has some of the same stuff that Scott mentioned. So it has a homepage where there's um, Made For You, where they have uh, mixes of different songs by different authors based on what music you listen to. They also have what you've recently played, more like certain albums you listen to. And they also make it a lot better for the artists in that they, they let you know what uh, upcoming concerts are near you based on what artists you've listened to in addition to merchandise those uh, artists are selling I don't know if that's also on iTunes um, and then they also have recommended playlists by different genres um, as well as their own browse page where they have pr pretty much like uh, Scott mentioned with iTunes any song you could request they have they have charts um, new releases videos podcasts everything um, different like I said genres and moods and then um, they also have a radio function which is much like Pandora based on like I said different mixes of what you're listening to and then finally your library and what I've loved about about Spotify so much is 
the downloadable function, which I understand that iTunes now has as well, the ability to download your music ahead of time and then be able to listen to it without having to wait for you know it to load, depending on what internet you have. That's really one of the reasons I've loved uh, Spotify. And why I've always loved Apple products is how they connect across different interfaces using like iCloud, you know, with messages, emails, reminders, everything like that, photos. Um, and so one of the concerns I had when I switched to Spotify was that you know Spotify obviously wasn't made by Apple, iTunes music was. And so I was concerned it wasn't going to be as compatible across devices but why I've loved Spotify so much is it's super compatible across um, you know my computer my phone um, and it allows me to you know have music on one phone and then go on my computer and all the music's automatically updating the playlists and everything like that and so I've I really enjoys I've really enjoyed using Spotify and now with the family plan it's super affordable I believe the um, basic um, if you're not in college um, if you're not a student that is um, cost for Spotify as well as for iTunes is a between I think ten to twelve dollars. I don't know exactly what it is, but with the family plan, I know it's um, on Spotify. It's fifteen dollars, but you can have I think between th- uh, four to like seven people on it, or four to yeah. six. And so we have five people on it. And so when you split that up, um, three bucks a person's it's really affordable and it, it makes a lot of sense for us. So I really enjoy that. And I understand Scott can talk about this that iTunes also has a family plan option. Yes, so my wife and I are actually on a family plan. It's fourteen ninety nine a month. It holds up to six users. It's just that we don't have anybody else to use Apple Music right now. But um, it is very similar to Spotify. And the monthly cost of Apple Music for an individual member is nine ninety nine. So pricing-wise, it's similar. We don't use Tidal, which is another streaming service. And I believe iHeartRadio and Pandora now offer their own on-demand streaming music services. So we can't really comment on that but jack you know it's interesting i was thinking about this earlier 2017 i moved houses and i was going through some old stuff that i had and one of which was an unopened cd by sean lennon the artist and it was 1899 when i bought it years ago that's amazing how the price of that one cd is more than a family plan it's crazy to think that at all times in our pockets and our phones we have access to all, basically all of recorded music. That's just unbelievable technology right there. That's really, really remarkable. But it's also something I wanted to touch on as well is that physical products in terms of music are making a comeback. I also like listening to vinyl records. I have a pretty decent vinyl collection. I like the sound created by the records. I like the uh, ability to hold the physical product in my hand and take a look at the album cover art, for example. And every April on a day, what's known as Record Store Day, I go very early in the morning to my local record shop, and those do still exist. And I wait online for limited edition releases, and everybody on the line is probably a teenager through their 40s. That's the average age. So physical products are making a comeback, even though digital is the easiest and quickest way to get access to the music that you want. Yeah, I'd agree. And while I don't use records, my brother has a record player, and I know he's just, he's talked with you about this, and he also has been collecting a lot of different, um, I guess, are they also called albums, I assume, um, different, or different records. And um, one thing I really like about his collection is obviously being able to like you said, hold something in your hand, being able to go through and check out the different cover art, which especially with, I know a lot of the albums, the newer albums, he's, the newer uh, records he's picked up, some of how they design the, um, 
the whole album is one of the coolest parts in terms of uh, the different uh, cover art and the different uh, facts and information they have on different pages. It's it's something that's really cool, and so it's definitely making it come back. But for me personally, the uh, sound quality on a, uh, a speaker, um, one of which I'm going to mention in my Stuff We Love segment later in the show, it's just it doesn't compete with a record. But I think it's really cool to be able to have to collect a bunch of different music and be able to display it um, in the in the different uh, record uh, cases. So. Yeah, there's something to be said for physical products. And before we uh, go on to the next topic in our show, I did want to read some responses we got on Twitter from listeners as to how they consume music. Um, Let's see here. Andrew said that he still does listen to music on CD. And he cited, he's a big Disney fan, he cited the Muppets Most Wanted soundtrack CD and the Steve Tyrell Disney Classic CD. Uh, Donnie, our good friend uh, at Canuck Duck, I don't have his full uh, Twitter name there, said, I listen to CDs every once in a while, usually have a few in the car, throw one in when I want to break from the radio. Tina at Empress Tina on Twitter said she does listen to CDs. She puts them in the car, listens to them in the car and at home, and she enjoys reading the liner notes that come with the CDs. And if she really loves the music, she wants a hard copy of it. And that's also interesting because that's kind of the way I feel. For me, there are certain artists who are at the top of my all-time list And even though I do listen to them digitally, I like having the physical product as well. And then finally, Scott Gardner uh, at Epscott, a great guy, said he had the biggest CD collection ever and thought he would never get away from them. But he did say that in recent years he has not bought a CD. It's been over five years since he bought a CD. So I think listening to us and listening to our listeners – we're seeing a variety of things. We're seeing people get away from CDs, but not entirely, and others who don't even consider buying a physical product. So it's very interesting. For sure. And one thing I also wanted to mention about uh, Spotify, one of the reasons I'm so fond of it, is they have a really great um, user interface in terms of sharing albums and playlists with other people. So yeah. I can make a playlist, and I'm sure this is similar to iTunes, um, because like I said, they are very similar when they're constantly competing with each other. I can make a playlist and make it... Um, collaborative and then other people once I share that playlist with them via uh, text message Facebook email whatever they have the ability to also add music to it edit it and I know this is really popular amongst uh, sports teams in high school they'll make a playlist for a certain team and they all really enjoy using it and you can share playlists across like I said devices across users and that's right. um, another thing I really enjoy about it but the shift to uh, digital music is it's almost unavoidable especially when it's just so um, accessible um, just from your pocket and that's obviously something that wasn't available previously but there's definitely and it's not even just in music across a lot of different things a uh, movement to kind of have some more tangible aspects and not be completely uh, enveloped in technology yeah it's um, you know it's funny as you're saying that I'm beginning to think that I should join Spotify and have a stuff we love playlist section (laughs) <laughs> that's a great idea that's what I, I was trying to tell you I, I, with Neil and I because I was talking with him I've made some great playlists and I'm always trying to share them with you guys and uh, I can't because you Apple music people are uh, you're, you won't you won't switch I did share an R&B playlist with my wife the other day <laughs> by the way uh, Jack I just wanted to uh, backtrack and say because I was mentioning the Twitter names of everybody that wrote in Andrew is at Andrew C. Fran and the Donnie is at CanuckDuck789 so Anybody who's listening should follow them on Twitter. They're all worth following, all good people. If, and please, listeners, feel free to write in on Twitter or Facebook and tell us how you listen to music. We, this is something that is of great interest to us, so please tell us how you, how you listen. Now I'm going to turn it over to Jack, who's going to introduce the next part of our podcast episode. This is going to be a discussion of Star Wars The Last Jedi. Thank you, Scott. So obviously everyone was 
as well as we were on the show, very excited, very anxious to see the new movie. We did a lot of talking about it, and um, now the movie's been out for a good amount of time, and we're going to be checking in on how it's been doing. So progress-wise, it's on Rotten Tomatoes. It has a 91% of critic approval and then a 51% audience score, which to note is the lowest audience approval rating of any Star Wars movie, lower than the prequels. And now to talk about kind of the earnings thus far, in the U.S. and Canada, it's earned $533 million, and globally, it's about to reach more than $1 billion. So it has been doing fairly well. Um, in comparison to The Force Awakens, I believe opening weekend, some stuff like that was a little bit lower, but since then, it's bounced back and it's been doing very well. That being said, you saw the low um, fan approval rating. There have been a lot of criticisms from this movie and I'm going to take you through an article that was actually done by a Vox which went through and uh, kind of combined a lot of the largest criticisms across a lot of different um, a lot of different platforms warning this is a spoiler alert warning so one of the first one is that there's too much progressivism so the series millennial good guys are young oh young white woman obviously being Ray young black man Finn and a woman of Asian descent being Rose and Latino man um, Poe and while it's millennial bad guys who are the two white dudes, so I mean, a lot of I didn't find particular error with this, but a lot of people have been really critical of this. And I know um, some people even took this to an extreme when uh, Rose's the actress who plays Rose in the new Star Wars: The Last Jedi, her Wikipedia page was hacked, and there was a lot of like racial, racially charged and racist uh, messages pasted on her Wikipedia uh, pasted on her Wikipedia page, which is obviously um, pretty horrible. And that's a, a lot of people are upset with that. Um, another one of the criticisms is that the jokes are too jokey. And this is actually one of the criticisms I agreed with. I mentioned this with Scott when I first uh, was right. discussing with him how the movie was. Um, the, I'd also like to mention, and I'll put a, I'll put a disclaimer in before we before this topic. This is going to be a spoiler-filled review. This is not a spoiler-free review. So if you're expecting a spoiler-free review, and you're you're in the wrong place. Um, I know the opening scene has a interesting back and forth between Poe Dameron and um, Admiral Hux. And for me, it just for a Star Wars movie, I'm fine with a little bit of humor. Obviously, being that there's that's a large movement with a lot of these you know comic com, uh, a lot of these uh, sci-fi movies uh, being with Guardians of the Galaxy, but. I didn't love the humor at the beginning of the movie. I thought at times there could have been a lot more emotion behind a lot of the interactions, and a lot of the humor felt cheesy. It wasn't funny when I was watching it, and uh, it just wasn't a very enjoyable. And uh, the original trilogy was, you know, it didn't really see much of this humor at all, other than for uh, occasional uh, outbursts from some characters. But it really wasn't much like this at all. And now with this whole kind of movement to have a lot more of the humor in movies, um, I didn't love it. Uh, obviously, I think if there's characters like Poe Dameron who are a little bit more witty, there's nothing wrong with that. Han was witty too. But the kind of cheesy humor I wasn't a huge fan of. Another one of the complaints is that the individual plot lines and moments uh, don't make a ton of sense. So... People didn't love the whole storyline with uh, Benicio Del Toro's character and a lot of the interactions between certain characters. I'm not going to reference specific lines, but they didn't make a ton of sense. And I know one of the criticisms I had when I was talking with Scott was um, the uh, chamber scene when Kylo Ren turns on Snoke, and which, by the way, it was an amazing scene, one of, the, one of my easily my favorite scene for the movie. It's by far the coolest um, lightsaber interaction in any of the Star Wars franchises. Um, but I didn't, it didn't make a ton of sense to me, and, and Scott was saying this too, and I'll let you chime in in a minute, Scott, um, sure. how uh, Kylo Ren would turn on Snoke and then all of a sudden um, want to turn back to the dark side and then want to kill Luke and Rey. Obviously, the defense for that was that he didn't really hate... He, he, he wasn't turning good. It was just that he really didn't like Snoke. But to me, it, it doesn't make a ton of sense, and I thought that was one of the weaker points. Also, I 
didn't love um, some of the other parts of the movie where the plot lines just didn't really seem to fit with the larger picture of the movie. Uh, moving on was that the characters' journeys aren't what was expected. And that being that a lot of people didn't like the path that uh, Luke was going to make. I know uh, Mark Hamill himself, he, when he first read the script for The Last Jedi, which he said in countless interviews, he didn't, he didn't like the direction or he didn't see Luke's, Luke's character going in the same direction that uh, Ryan Johnson had him going in. Since then, Hamill has commented that he, he did um, understand and see the vision and enjoyed where Luke's character was taken. But his initial reaction was the same as many fans, that they really didn't like how Luke's character kind of went out. Obviously, he died in this movie and um, how he interacted in this movie. And uh, I was kind of on that boat as well. And the final uh, largest criticism was that the movie isn't really adhering to fan theory. So obviously the Star Wars um, universe of fans is enormous and if you go on YouTube and you follow any of these uh, YouTube channels uh, of which I do they're continuously talking about these different fan theories and possible and the film did not really contain um, any of any hints of any of the, the largest fan theories that had been out thus far and um, I know one of them was uh, you know with Ray's parents everyone wanted to be a Kenobi or everyone wanted to be this person's this person's kid um, and it wasn't according to this movie which one of the things I also really didn't like was that it was just two uh, random uh, junkies I think they put it uh, Kylo put it in the movie and I, I didn't enjoy that at, as much but uh, I thought the movie was really good it was definitely better than The Force Awakens and I enjoyed a lot of aspects of the movie but um, those criticisms obviously other than the first one um, were some, some of the ones I shared when watching the movie Scott what were your thoughts? Well thank you for your thoughts Jack those are great uh, I will begin by saying that I am shocked that the movie only has a 51% approval rating from audiences. I mean, in the world of movie going, where audiences tend to be pretty lenient in the scores they give films, that is shockingly low. I would have thought that the Last Jedi score would be in the 80s or even the 90s. So I'm kind of surprised by that even now, a few weeks after the film came out. In terms of the movie itself, let me begin by saying that I really love the movie. To me, it was enjoyable and exciting. Um, I can't wait to own it and see it again. But the criticisms that Jack mentioned just a few minutes ago, I also completely agree with. The Last Jedi is such a massive film in terms of length and in terms of what happens in the plot that there's so much to take in and most of it is good, but some of it is bad. Now, in terms of the jokes and the post scene at the beginning where he's cracking those jokes, that was completely unnecessary and cheesy. And, and you know, Jack, you pointed something out which I agree with, which is that the original trilogy, New Hope, Empire Strikes Back, and Return of the Jedi, had humor, but it wasn't cheesy humor. And it wasn't the type of humor that would kind of make you shake your head and say, why, why is Lucas putting that in there? This humor just didn't belong. It was... Not what you would expect from characters in the Star Wars universe. And to me, took away from that particular scene. So the humor here, for the most part, to me, did not work. I thought one thing I really liked about the movie was that the lightsaber fight scenes seemed to have an intensity to them that other films lacked. And I'm not just talking about the visuals and how intense the fights were to watch. But in terms of just the emotion displayed by the characters in the fight scenes, when you go back and you watch the original trilogy, by the way, forgive me, I'm a little stuffy, I've, uh, I'm under the weather, but the, uh, when you go back and you watch the original trilogy and you watch lightsaber fight scenes, 
the participants in the fights generally aren't shouting, they aren't yelling. The fights tend to be intense, but I don't know how to say it, but not over the top. Here, I don't know if you remember this, Jack, but they had yells and screams as part of the fights, and I thought that added a high level of intensity to the actual uh, lightsaber scenes. Then the um, I thought the score was great. The music was absolutely beautiful. I thought it stood out a little bit more than The Force Awakens. I thought that the Luke Skywalker plot line, to me, I didn't really go for that much. I understand some of the complaints that are coming in. I agree with most of it. And Jack, in terms of that Kylo Ren scene that you spoke of, I agree. It's almost too chaotic. I mean, one one minute he's on this side, one minute he's on the other. We know that he's conflicted, and he is torn between the dark side and the force, but at the same time, it seems to be too much that he would flip-flop that easily right after killing, um, what's the name? Jack, fill me, help me out. Stoke, yes, absolutely. So I didn't really get that. I, I thought that the... Um, some of the plot was a little bit unnecessary. The movie went on a bit too long. There were several times where I thought it would should have ended. Um, I pers- I know this is we're, as mentioned earlier. This is going to be spoilers here. I thought I wish that Luke hadn't uh, transported the image of himself to the final fight scene with Kylo Ren, and that he actually showed up and deflected the firepower he received by using the Force. I thought that would have been a good development, a good scene. Um, but overall, I did like it, and I'm shocked that the ratings are so low among audience members. And everybody I've talked to, for the most part, really either really liked it or liked it. They acknowledged the movie's flaws, but they liked it. 51% is is just abysmal. I don't get it. I don't get it. I have read also online <clears throat> that there are theories that some of the low ratings are being funneled in by some some trolls. I saw one article that one guy put in thousands of negative thousands of negative reviews on different accounts, and so that could have a sway in it. But it's still abnormally low. And I just like to note for um, precedent's sake, this was the first Star Wars movie where there was no uh, lightsaber on lightsaber. Uh, fight because technically speaking Luke was a hologram when he fought with uh, Kylo Ren and Rey and Kylo never actually physically fight with the lightsabers in this movie they fight the um, the the guards of Snoke um, it also it was oh yeah that's that's a great point Jack great point yeah, also, also this was one of the most gruesome uh, lightsaber fights we've seen because as as uh, Scott mentioned it was a lot more emotional which I enjoyed um, but also I know at one point one of the guards gets thrown into kind of uh, one of I guess it's like one of the engines that's spinning and you see his uh, his cloth as well since it's red cloth you assume some of that's blood uh, get you know shot back out so it's definitely one of the more gruesome scenes we saw lightsabers through the heads we saw some heads come off it was definitely one of the more gruesome scenes it, definitely a really cool interaction I agree with you in terms of the, the Luke storyline I, di- I didn't love that development as a whole I thought it would have been really cool if they ended the movie right when after the fight with uh, Kylo and Rey and just ended it there with a lot of uncertainty. I thought that would have been a really great way to end this movie with a, a huge cliffhanger going to the next one. And to just kind of also comment on the on the humor, you know, the reason that the original trilogy is, is so good after this long is because the movies have just lasted the, uh, the, the test of time. Uh, meanwhile, I feel like if you watch this movie in... Uh, the Last Jedi in a couple years, you're gonna listen to that opening line where he says like, "It's about your mom." Or that was the that was the exchange between Poe and uh, Hux. And you're just gonna go like, "All right, come on, yeah. this is a little bit cheesier, guys." So I I thought the humor was forced at times, which I didn't love. I also didn't laugh during a, for a lot of the humor. Um, 
Another one of the the notes to make is a lot of people complain about Snoke's storyline, how they we don't really know much about him, but he was built up, and then all of a sudden he's just dead in this movie. And so already right. there are tons of fan theories. I don't like to talk about any of them because if any of them come true, I don't want to be someone who accidentally spoiled a movie, uh, which right. happened for me reading fan, fan theories uh, with The uh, Force Awakens. Um and I also didn't like how uh, I felt. I thought Chewbacca's character could have been uh, more in the movie, and then also R two D two, who is pretty much irrelevant in this movie. There's one scene where he interacts with Luke, and Luke's just like, "You're not gonna understand. I wish I could, you know, wish he could make you understand." And that's it. Uh, didn't love that as well. But I mean, I understand they're trying to transition from the old characters to the new. But if you're gonna keep these old characters in the movies, you, you, they have to be used appropriately. I, I believe, and I didn't think they were being used appropriately in this movie. And I know one of the scenes between. Uh, uh, Carrie Fisher's character, um, Leia, obviously, and Luke. Uh, Scott and I talked about this. How once again it was the humor. Um, when they, this is when they they meet after um, when Luke's hologram arrives at um, Crate, I believe the the, uh, the planet's called, and they meet in the you know the, their makeshift uh, um, command center. And I mean, it's been it's been decades. Uh, her son's now on the dark side. There'd be a lot of emotion behind that. And uh, I understand the whole, this is the defense of it, that, you know, Ray, or sorry, uh, Leia and Luke have a connection through the Force, and so they can, they can communicate their thoughts. But I still thought there should have been a lot more emotion in that scene than there was. Instead, it was just, I know I changed my hair. And a lot of people say, well, oh, you know, that's <laughs> Leia's character. I thought that would have been a really great scene to have a lot more emotion behind that behind that interaction uh, between the two of them. Um, instead, it was just it was just humor, and I'm not that it doesn't make sense. I guess you could you could definitely defend and say why it makes sense. I just uh, as as me criticizing the movie as a fan, I just didn't love that interaction. Scott, your thoughts? Yeah, just uh, I have one comment and then two questions for you. Comment is that in terms of uh, Carrie Fisher's character, I think it may have been on another podcast, maybe NPR's Pop Culture Happy Hour. They said something which I completely agree with, which is that. The character played by Laura Dern, who sacrifices herself to save the other members of the Resistance, if you remember that scene, um, it would have been a great way for Carrie Fisher's character to, um, to to end her presence in the Star Wars films if she sacrificed her own – if Leia sacrificed her own life by driving her the ship into the, um, the enemy ship so that – Poe and everyone else could get away on those individual spaceships, but instead Laura Dern's character did it, which to me seemed kind of strange. Um, you know what I'm talking about, Jack? For sure, and I'd also like to note that um, it could have been Leia, obviously, but I'd also like to note that one of the largest criticisms with the too much uh, progressivism in this movie is that you didn't really need Laura Dern's character at all. I mean, people are cr uh, criticizing the fact that uh, Admiral Akbar, who's one of the favorite characters in the original trilogy, he died off screen when uh, Kylo's uh, two ships... Um, you know, bomb the uh, command center at the front of the ship, and they just say Admiral Ackbar's dead. All the generals are dead. He was one of people's favorite characters, and he could have done the send off and sh and shot the ship through um um the obviously um you know Snoke's ship um or Leia. Uh, either of them could be used instead of just making up this one character who she, she didn't really need to be in the movie. I mean, you, we just met her now, and she didn't really need to be in the movie. So she was in the movie for about ten minutes, and to me, it seemed unnecessary. That's just yeah, uh, for sure. Right, so, Jack, my two questions for you are one. Even though there were no lightsaber or lightsaber scenes, do you agree with what I said in terms of the intensity of the scenes depicting lightsabers? Oh, for sure, Mike. The scene with um, I I think Adam Driver plays a really plays a good character as in Kylo and what he's written, and he he has a lot of um 
you know, passion. You could definitely see that uh, the fight between or the fight with Ray and Kylo versus the guards, like you mentioned, was was awesome. I mean, the, the emotion behind it. It was that's why it was one of my favorite scenes. And I think watching that scene, particularly ten years from now, you're still going to get that emotion when you're watching it. Right. Um, and one other thing I'd just like to know, and you, you mentioned this with how Leia could have been sent off, that one scene where she does get blasted out of the command uh, center um, and then floats back towards the ship, I didn't like that at all because of all the ways that uh, Leia could have used the Force, that's a pretty weak way after, what is this, uh, five movies now that she's yeah. been in for her to use the force. I didn't really enjoy that. I mean, for her to just kind of float through space and it didn't look good uh, visually either. It, it kind of looked fake. And um, I'd also yeah. like to well, on that one. I, I, just, uh, I agree with you about that Leia scene. When that happened, I, I, I personally seemed, I was surprised. And I think the others in the theater, I saw it opening day, were kind of expressing disbelief. It seemed to be a little too much. And Jack, my other question for you is, what do you think of Porgs? Porgs. I'm a fan of Porgs. I think uh, one of the best fe- parts about the Star Wars universe is just how um, the different, you know, animal species and you know different pe- times of people that are there, and uh, that's why one of the reasons I I enjoyed the Rose storyline was how they went to that one planet and you interacted with a ton of different Star Wars creatures. Um, but there's obviously criticism to that scene as well that it wasn't necessary and made the movie too long. But I right. back to your question. I am a fan of Porgs because I think it further encompasses uh, the. Uh, you know how how crazy the Star Wars universe can be, and I thought they were they were really cute and they were funny and they offered some comic relief. I really I really enjoyed the scene with uh, Chewbacca eating the uh, the pork, and that was one of the scenes where everyone genuinely laughed when they were watching that scene, as opposed to the force humor at the beginning of the movie. I agree. I love the porgs. Our co-host Joe, who's not with us tonight, got me as a holiday gift a Pop Funko uh, pork figure that's on display in my office. So I like it. I like them a lot. I hope they come back. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Now, Jack, I, that's our Star Wars Last Jedi discussion, so please write to us and tell us what you thought of the movie. And I know you want to say a few words about The Greatest Showman. For sure. So this is actually going to be integrated into one of the things I love this week, The Greatest oh, Showman. Oh, okay. Sorry about that. <laughs> oh, no problem. No, I'll just talk about it now. So okay. obviously the, I saw The Greatest Showman. It's I don't, I don't know what day it came out exactly, um, but – it's by far one of my favorite movies of the year, um, and I actually I only saw it once. I saw Star Wars: The Last Jedi twice, but I've actually I'm actually a lot more excited to see The Greatest Showman the second time than I was to see The Last Jedi second time. Not to wow. throw any shade at The Last Jedi, just to show how really enjoyable this Greatest Showman movie was. First of all, I just like to note that it has a 55% critic review. Meanwhile, it has a 90% fan uh, review on Rotten Tomatoes. So just to show the difference between Star Wars and this movie, where critics loved it and fans hated it, or fans disliked it and then in this movie where critics uh supposedly uh hated it and the fans absolutely loved it and so i was one of those fans i really enjoyed the movie uh one of the large criticisms of the movie is that it's don't go in expecting it to be a accurate representation of pt barnum's life they take a lot of creative license um in it and a lot of the critics of that obviously being a lot of people were critics of the circus and like animal rights and stuff like that um but i think just looking at this movie in, in itself and what it was it's it's really enjoyable the music was done by uh justin paul and benj pasik who also did the music for la la land and dear evan hansen and uh, i'd like to note that i was a fan of La La Land, but the music is so different in this movie than in La La Land. It's a lot more um, upbeat, a little bit more rustic. Uh, it reminds me a lot of Mumford and Sons, and um, it's really, really enjoyable. I mean, in, when you're in that theater um, and you're watching the the movie with a lot of the the music and you know the, the some of the dancing sequences, it is. You, you can't help it. You want to stand up and just start, you know, dancing and singing along with them. The, the beats are um, entrancing, and uh, I really enjoy the movie as a whole. 
Uh, it's also very upbeat, and all the actors and actresses did a really good job. Hugh Jackman obviously played the role of P.T. Barnum, who was fantastic in that role. Um, Rebecca Ferguson played the role as uh, Jenny Land, Jenny Land, I think, and she was one of the opera singers in the movie, and she was uh, supposed opera singers, and she was really great. Michelle Williams, who played the wife of P.T. Barnum, she was awesome, as well as Zendaya, obviously, and Zac Efron. Zendaya played one of the uh, trapeze artists, and Zac Efron was the, uh, he'll, he'll become, this is a little bit of a spoiler, he'll become the assistant to uh, Hugh Jackman. And they, wow, they, the movie was really enjoyable. The music is fantastic. My entire family's been playing around the house. It's it's just been really enjoyable. I really I really loved it and it's been doing super well. It, it, did, it had a pretty good opening weekend and since then it's had uh, just continued uh, success. It's been rising and rising every single weekend to show how word of mouth is really making this movie do super, super well. And it's a really great holiday movie and I, I already ordered pre-ordered the, uh, the disc version on Amazon uh, just to have because I, I really enjoyed the movie and I think anyone who watches it, they're really going to enjoy the message of this movie. Yeah, it's interesting because what you just said about how it's doing better now after its original release is unheard of at the box office. Normally a movie comes out, it'll do its best box office opening weekend and then will suffer a continual decline weekend after weekend. But what's happening with the um, the P.T. Barnum movie, The Greatest Showman, is that word of mouth is really helping out. I can't tell you how many times I've logged onto Facebook and seen my friends post comments about this movie saying that they know it didn't get the greatest reviews, but they went to see it, they loved it, and the comments that those posts receive from people who agree with them. So for me, this is something that I absolutely want to see. Uh, Jack, your comments made me want to see it even more. And uh, I love Hugh Jackman. He's the he's a great actor. He's one of my favorites. I'm a big Zac Efron fan as well. He, I think he's a very good actor. Michelle Williams is obviously one of the best actresses in Hollywood today. Uh, Jack, as I was saying to you before we recorded tonight's episode, my wife and I had the chance to meet Michelle Williams and spend time with her. And she was just a wonderful, kind person. So I'm happy to hear that she did great in this film. And uh, thanks for your comments on this, Jack. I'm very excited to see it. Of course. So, Scott, you want to take us through the uh, Intro to the Stuff We Love segment? Yes. So this is the part of the show, which is a fan favorite, by the way. It's the Stuff We Love segment. People really love this part. And for tonight's episode, Jack and I are going to speak about products that we're enjoying right now or movies, toys, whatever it may be. Let's talk about some stuff we love. So for me, I would like to take a few moments to speak about Philips Hue light bulbs. You may have seen these if you were in Best Buy or Target or Walmart. They sell these things. And what they are are LED light bulbs made by Philips that go and fit into any light bulb socket. They'll work anywhere. And what they have inside of them is the ability to project a multitude of colors. So using an app on your phone or using your voice through an Amazon Echo or a, I think a Google Home Mini or Google Home allows you to do this too. You have the ability to say to your Echo, make the family room lights blue, and then the lights will become blue. Or you can do purple, pink, green, red. The colors are endless, and they even have themes like energize, read, relax, lights that are sensitive to those moods or whatever it is you may be doing. I also installed on my main TV where I play my video games and watch a lot of movies a light strip on the back of the TV. So even if all of the lights in the room are out, there will be a light reflecting off the back of the TV that also can be any one of numerous numerous colors. So that's Philips Hue light bulbs. And in addition to the bulbs themselves, they make accessories like, for example, a dimmer switch, 
something called the Hue Go, which is a wireless light, although I happen to have mine plugged in, that projects light on a very particular part of the wall. And uh, you can go to your, let's say, Best Buy, and you buy a starter pack, which is not cheap. These things are not cheap, but the starter pack includes four bulbs along with a, uh, I think they call it the hub, uh, the bridge. No, they call it the bridge now that I'm thinking about it. And you set that up, and then when you add light bulbs to your setup, it all is done through the phone app. It's extremely easy to use, and they even have other apps in which you could do Christmas shows, Halloween shows, fireworks, where all the lights will go off simultaneously and change colors. So for me, Philips Hue Light Bulbs is my Stuff We Love segment this week. Jack, what do you got? That's awesome, Scott. So I'm going to be talking about two products, and then obviously I'm just going to talk about The Greatest Showman like I did earlier. Uh, so the first is the Propel um, drone. So they, it comes in, it's a Star Wars drone. It comes in an X-Wing as well as a TIE fighter. And so this is a product I received for Christmas as a gift, and I've been extremely uh, happy with it, and it's been super enjoyable to use. So how it works, it's a mini drone, uh, no bigger than... I'd say uh, it's about the length of an iPhone 10 and about the width too. And um, it's, it's not that big, but man, it has top speeds of 30 miles per hour and it's super enjoyable. Um, so you, once you get it, it comes in this amazing box. And to as a way to kind of get ready to enjoy this, uh, this, this drone, go onto YouTube and check out the unboxing for it. Unboxing is one of the coolest parts. It comes in this cool glass case, and every time you open it, there's like different music and lines that play from the movie. It's absolutely awesome. Um, but it comes with uh, some replacement uh, propellers, obviously. And um, I was concerned when I got it that it was going to be difficult to use. I'm not really familiar with drones, um, but the instructions were really helpful. And after watching a video on YouTube, I figured it out pretty quickly and assembling and everything like that. Uh, it comes with two batteries. The only complaint with this is that the batteries only last six to eight minutes, so you can't really use them for too long. Um, unless you wanted to buy extras, which you can do, um, but I really haven't had a too, ha, ha, haven't had a problem with me using it and it dying too quickly. Like I said, it does achieve top speeds of 30 miles per hour, but there are different modes you can set it in to make it go slower. Um, one of the other cool things is you can actually fight other uh, drones with it. So I know my brother got the Tie Fighter one, and so what you can do is you can log into the app and just sync up the two uh, drones, and then what you actually do is um, you, you control it all from the remote, and the remote's obviously playing sounds and different music and audio and clips um you know it'll have ben kenobi say use the force while you're flying the ship and stuff like that and um once you turn on the uh the um you know like the conflict mode then you can actually shoot lasers off of it and so it works with um uh it, sh it, sh it shoots um I'm, I'm messing i'm not using the right jargon here but it shoots uh uh, like beams to the other ship and it can detect if it's been hit if you've accurately lined up the ships to hit each other in midair and then you can keep track of it on your phone what the lives are etc and it's really really cool and I haven't actually gotten to, to battle the two ships yet but just flying it around it's been really fun and it, it goes super high and it can go super far and like I said really fast and I've really enjoyed it and highly recommend anyone pick it up if they haven't I don't know what the price is I, I think it's uh, Scott do you know what the price is for it? I don't but I want one <laughs> it's awesome uh, it's it's very similar to um, I know I have the uh, BB-8 um, by uh, Spiro and they also came out with an R2D2. It's in this new kind of uh, this new kind of uh, realm of like Star Wars tech gadgets that everyone that a lot of people are coming out with. As well as you yeah. can get like a force band and control it with your hand and stuff like that. My second product I like to talk about is a Sono speaker. So this is actually a gift to my dad um, that's now in our house and it's in combination with our Alexa. And so it 
we it's all the same features that you'd expect from an Echo Dot, anything like that. Um, it can do the same stuff, but I just like to note how great the sound quality is as we've been playing the Greatest Showman uh, audio uh, soundtrack on the speaker. Wow, the audio is extremely good, and um, it makes the music a lot really enjoyable. And you hear a lot of the stuff you don't hear when you're using headphones or anything like that. Um, so those are my two products. Jack, uh, question for you on that: Are you talking about the Sonos with the Amazon Echo built in? Yes. I have the same one. I got it during the holidays. It's absolutely amazing. I oh, agree yeah, with great. you completely. The music quality, sometimes I find myself actually just stopping and focusing on the music because the sound quality is so great. Yeah, for sure. So before we get to the wrap-up part of the show, let me begin by saying Happy New Year to all of our listeners. It's 2018. Jack and I are recording this on New Year's Day night, so the holiday season is basically over and we get ready to go back to school and to work and all that good stuff. We hope you had a wonderful holiday season and we wish you all the best for a happy and healthy New Year. And thanks for bearing with me on this episode. I'm sure you can hear I'm a bit congested. There are many ways you could follow us on social media. You could follow us on Twitter at Stuff We Love Pod. We are on Instagram at Stuff We Love Podcast. We have a Facebook page. Please follow us on there and like our page. We have a website, www.stuffwelovepodcast.com. You can go to a products page on there where you can see links to some of the stuff that we are talking about on the show. If you click on the links that we post, even if you don't end up buying something that we link to, the show does get a portion of the uh, proceeds for that. So that's a way of helping out the podcast. On the website as well, one of the things that we're going to be launching in 2018 is a blog. It's going to be a combination of articles about topics that interest us, as well as reviews of movies and other shows. So be on the lookout for that. You can write to us at stuffwelovepodcast at gmail.com. And please leave us good reviews on iTunes. We love those five-star reviews, so keep them coming. And uh, thank you again for listening. So happy New Year again. I am Scott. I'm Jack. And this is the Stuff We Love podcast.